Thank you, Angie, Ryan, and Hannah. That was that was wonderful. Um, before we get started, um, I believe you may have seen these cards on the table in the foyer. You are invited um, to the annual meeting of the of Cochrane Temiskaming Youth for Christ. Um, two weeks tomorrow. So the 24th, 28th, sorry, of May. So it's the week, the Monday following the long weekend. Um, please come and, and share with us and celebrate with us. Um, we'd very much appreciate your participation, your input. Let's pray. Father, as we've been singing, you have no equal. And Lord, we come into your presence. An awesome privilege, responsibility. Lord, I I pray that you would help me to proclaim your word. That you would Grant us all to hear Your Word. That You may have honor and praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's my privilege today put my eyes on so I can see, Um, to introduce to you and to proclaim to you the glory of the Lord Jesus. But before we start, we have a bit of an issue that we need to resolve. Most areas of study, whether they're law or mathematics or engineering or economics or medicine or theology, Most areas of study acquire a set of, shall we say, shorthand expressions in the appropriate context and to those who are acquainted with that field, these words and expressions carry important meaning. But outside of those contexts and to those of us who are not acquainted with those fields of study, um, these words tend to be just noise. Or they convey inaccurate or even misleading information. Uh, Someone referred to them as technobabble. And just think of terms like these. You may have heard them, you may not have heard them. And no, I'm not going to define them for you, so don't worry. You have to figure that one out yourself. Fiduciary responsibility. One I learned from reading um, one of the master's theses of, or trying to read, of uh, one of the, the Hooks children, Hamiltonian. 
about terms like entropy or enthalpy. And geology. No, it has nothing to do with angels. Pecuniary damages. Propitiation. One of the little more commonly used, sanctification. What does it really mean? Glory is another one of those terms that we don't use very often in ordinary conversation, occasionally. But we need to understand the word if we're going to be able to grasp very much of who the Lord Jesus really is. Before I began this study, I would have said that glory, as in the glory of the Lord in particular, has something to do with radiance, with light, and that God's glory is blinding to mortal eyes. In support of this, I would have referred you to Moses' encounter with God, which resulted in Moses' face shining to such an extent that he had to cover his face after he had spoken God's word to the people. The Oxford Dictionary defines glory as high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Magnificence or great beauty and praise, worship, and thanksgiving offered to a deity. Well, we've been offering glory to the Lord this morning. So to, glory, to glorify someone is to declare and to rejoice in their notable achievements. To hold that person in high esteem and honor. And in fact, we sometimes use the word this way. Not very often, but occasionally. For example, when we speak of Olympic glory. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is kavod, which carries the idea of being heavy. That is, heavy with honor, with riches, with power, with majesty. And this Hebrew word is part of the name, you may have come across it, Ichabod, which means no glory or inglorious. In 1 Samuel 4, a mother named her newborn child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband, who both died that day. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. In the New Testament, the word is doxa, uh, which carries the sense of giving praise, recognition, and honor. So it's closer to the English term. The Greek word survives in English as part of words such as 
doxology. But it's one thing to have the technical definition. But to really understand a word, we need to see how it's used. So if you would turn over to Exodus 33. Exodus 33 and verse 13. And Moses is talking to God. And he says, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And then verse um, 18 Moses continues and he says, clearly, please show me your glory. In response, God almost immediately answers, verse 19. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The next day, Moses climbed the mountain with the two stone tablets he'd been uh, told to prepare. And in chapter 34 and verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Okay. Quiz. From this passage, what is the glory of God? The clue is in the questions that Moses asked initially. What did Moses ask? He said, show me your ways. And then he clarified, show me your glory. God went before him, revealed what? His name his nature, his character, his grace, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, and his justice. It's interesting that further down in this same chapter, in verse 30, chapter 34, at the end of the chapter, um, is the incident to which I referred earlier 
the shining of Moses' face as a result of his close communion with the living God. 1 Chronicles 16 records the occasion of David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And on that occasion, he taught Israel to sing. And he said, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. That includes us, by the way. Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. So from these verses we get a sense of what glory is. What it means to give glory to God. His character is glorious. He is full of goodness. The Lord is worthy of honor and praise and worship. He is holy. He alone should be worshipped and praised because He alone is worthy. He is glorious and we know something of His glory because of what He has done. And for us, 3,000 years after David, what He has done especially in Jesus. So today as we think of the theme of glory, we discover that Jesus is the one who most perfectly displays what glory is all about. He is eternally glorious. And as we look at Him, we discover even more of the meaning of the term. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, uh, we are introduced to the living Word of God. He is the one through whom all creation came into being. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 1. I wasn't smart enough to bookmark my Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or has not understood it. Who of us has not stood outside on a cloudless night and gazed in awe at the magnificence of the stellar creation? 
when we think that God in His wisdom and grace created all of this, these gazillions of stars and galaxies, He created all of this for our benefit. So that this privileged planet would be all that He intended it to be as the home for the one species He says that He specifically created in His own image. Thinking about this, I'm left speechless. How can all this be? And yet, John's statement in this first paragraph of his Gospel might be somewhat ethereal and theoretical and unrelated to everyday life had he not continued a few verses later. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 16, And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side He has made Him known. What does John mean when he said, we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth? What's he talking about? Well, for starters, since the Son of God was the agent of creation, the magnificence of creation is His glory, at least for starters. It speaks of God's care in creating just the right set of circumstances that allow human life to flourish. And since God is here declared to be Father-like, the living Word, the Son of God, God the Son shares the same character, the same grace, the same mercy, the same faithfulness. In other words, the Son shares the glory of God the Father. C.H. Spurgeon Spurgeon, uh, preached a message almost 140 years ago um, titled, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I can think of no better description of the glory of God than what Spurgeon said that morning. No, I'm not going to stand here for two hours while I read his sermon. (laughs) But he said, in part, in every incident of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord's anointed, there is much of God to be seen. What volumes upon volumes might be written to show God as revealed in every act of Christ from His birth to His death. 
I see him as a babe at Bethlehem, lying in a manger. And there I perceive a choice glory in the mind of God. For he evidently despises the pomp and glory of the world, which little minds esteem so highly. He might have been born in marble halls and wrapped in imperial purple, but he scorns these things. And in the manger among the oxen, we see a glory which is independent of the trifles of luxury and parade. The glory of God in the person of Jesus asks no aid from the splendor of courts and palaces. Yet even as a babe he reigns and rules. Mark how the shepherds hasten to salute the newborn king. While the magi from the far off east bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh and bow at his feet. When the Lord condescends to show himself in little things, he is still right royal and commands homage of mankind. He is as majestic in the minute as in the magnificent, as royal in the babe at Bethlehem as in later days in the man who rode through Jerusalem with hosannas. What shall I say of his death? Oh, never did the love of God reveal itself so clearly as when he laid down his life for his sheep, Nor did the justice of God ever flame forth so conspicuously as when He would suffer in Himself the curse for sin rather than sin should go unpunished and the law should be dishonored. Every attribute of God was focused at the cross. And he that has eyes to look through his tears and see the wounds of Jesus shall behold more of God there than a whole eternity of providence or an infinity of creation shall ever be able to reveal to him. Well might the trembling centurion, as he watched the cross, exclaim, Truly, this was the Son of God. Shall I need to remind you too of the glory of God in the person of Christ Jesus in His resurrection, when He spoiled principalities and powers, led death captive, and rifled the tomb. That is indeed a godlike speech. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. His power, his immortality, his eternal majesty all shone forth as he left the shades of death. I will not linger over his ascension when he returned to his own again. Then his Godhead was conspicuous, for he again put on the glory which he had with the Father before ever the world was. There, amid the acclamations of angels and redeemed spirits, the glory of the conquering Lord was seen. By his descent he had destroyed the powers of darkness, and then he ascended that he might fill all things, as only God can do. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glory belongs to Jesus by right. 
He exists apart from creation. And this creation that we enjoy is merely one aspect of His glory. But Jesus went a lot further. Much further than that. In the same prayer, just before He asked for a return to the glory that is His by right, He stated, I glorified you, that is His Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. By coming to earth, by His teaching, by His ministering of healing and deliverance, Jesus declared the glory of God. But supremely in His death on the cross, in our place, and in His glorious resurrection, He accomplished the very purpose of God. And in so doing, He opened the way for us to come freely, boldly, into the presence of the Father. These works of love and obedience declare the nature of God in ways that we have not seen anywhere else, could not see anywhere else in ways that the blind can see. They glorify God because they reveal the nature of God. They speak loudly of His mercy, His love, His grace, His faithfulness, and yes, of His justice. No wonder that John writes, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen His glory, says John, because He is full of grace and truth. Jesus shows us God's glory because He shows us what God is like. In his second letter to Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote, God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we might ask, well, where do we see the glory of God displayed? Paul tells us that we see His glory most clearly displayed in the face, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the wonderful, magnificent person and character of Jesus. Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Through who He is, through what He has done, Jesus shows us the glory of God. Earlier in that same evening, though, Jesus had made a wonderful promise to His disciples. He said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
What an awesome promise. promise. Our Savior, our Lord, is preparing a place for us, His kids. Heaven's a real place and there's room for all who will believe. But even so, it's impossible for us to even partly appreciate how wonderful heaven will be. As another scripture says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Not long after Jesus told His disciples that He was going to prepare a place for him, for them, they heard Him praying. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What he had promised to his disciples, he was now telling the Father, making that promise doubly sure. The wonderful promise is for all who belong to the Lord Jesus. Heaven really is our true home. The Lord, our Lord Jesus, wants us to live in His presence and to see His glory. And what joy and love and peace will be ours as Paul writes in this, again in the second letter to Corinth, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For the believer, the best is yet to come, and even death cannot separate us from the love and the purposes of God. In Colossians 3, we read, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Jesus gives us the power to live a life that brings glory to Him here and now. But He also gives us hope and a future. One day, we'll join with all the hosts in heaven. Revelation 5. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And again in chapter 19. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Not only does Jesus revealed the glory of God. He wants His followers to do the same. He wants us to reveal the glory of God to the world. He wants us to bring glory and honor and praise to our God. Jesus said to His Father, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The fact that His disciples would believe Him and trust Him, uh, committed to obeying and serving Him, that 
alone brings glory and honor and renown to the Lord Jesus. But it's important that we are the kind of witnesses, that we are, we take our role as ambassadors for the kingdom of God seriously so that everything that we say and do reflects well on our Lord. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end or the main purpose of man? And the answer given is that we are to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So how do we glorify God? By allowing the beauty and the character of the Lord Jesus to shine through us and In doing this, we enjoy Him too because life becomes full of meaning, purpose, and joy. Paul wrote, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Perhaps we should ask ourselves, is what I am doing is what I'm saying. Are my thoughts, are my plans, my motives, my every, whatever is going on, is this glorifying God? We need to make it our chief purpose in life to glorify God. The only way, according to Scripture, to be truly happy Honor Him with our body, our mind, our voice, our talents, our money, our time. Jesus, in the, early in His ministry, in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and to give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We bring glory to God. We declare His honor, His worthiness, His majesty, His righteousness, His grace, His mercy. By letting our light Shine. Remember, our light is only a reflection. It's a reflection of His. And we allow that light to shine when we do the deeds that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Does our life, our life as individuals, family, as an assembly? Does it glorify God? Dear God, thank you for this time we could spend, Lord, in your presence and reminder of your glory. Lord, may this week, may we seek to glorify you, 
and enjoy you and come back refreshed um, and renewed in your spirit.